Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Welcome, Michla. Thank you. All right. I'm sitting here with Michla Lichi. Michla is visiting from Israel. Uh, you live in what they call the Gaza envelope, a term that I actually only heard after October 7th, the Gaza envelope, but I'm sure it's a term that was used before. Uh, um, and in the last kind of couple of days, you've made the decision to start speaking and you have a message to share related to your experiences on October 7th and following. Did I capture that correctly? Exactly. Okay. Awesome. We were talking just before um, we turn on the microphones that you were, you're not a podcast person in general. You're not someone who does that. Right. But you have um, heard this one once or twice. Yeah. More than once or twice. I remember, and also my friend Liba, um, you did a podcast with her recently. Yeah, yeah, Liba, Liba Baruch. Baruch. So she's my really good friend, like oh, my awesome. childhood friend. Oh, awesome. Um, and my cousin also. Oh, awesome. Okay. And what about that? Um, I really enjoyed that podcast. With I you. know. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, Actually, we were talking like we have a class chat from our childhood and someone mentioned something. I was like, wow, that's true. They're like we never knew what you were going through as a child. Like you were this like happy, cool. She was a cool girl, you know, and we never even imagined what she was going through. And it's so it's so amazing to like be able to to connect on that level um, all through this podcast, which is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Any other favorites come to mind? Um, Mendel Toron's podcast. That was, de it's definitely my favorite. What about it specifically? Um, I actually don't even remember. That's the truth. Um, I just love that. I, how it made you feel? Um, I know that I wanted to share it with a lot of friends and we had comfort. We started like a WhatsApp group of like, now we're going to share podcasts that we listen to and share and discuss. Um, and I love that we were able to like have this conversation. Oh, it was about like family, just Family stuff, like family therapy and right. all that kind of stuff. That's what yeah, I love. Clearly Mendel's passion was his, yeah, exactly. uh, circuit family therapy. Yeah. And it was where my curiosity was as yeah. well. I was most curious about those aspects of his work. Yeah. Right. Um, so. so I loved like I, I loved things that he said, but also the conversation that it started afterwards um, between like me and my friends and family members also. Um, so that was really cool. Good. Interesting. Yeah, that's most important is that um like I mentioned about Liba's podcast, that I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed having that conversation. But more important than that is I think that we covered an important topic that hopefully can help many people, which is yeah. what the purpose of this is. So glad to have you uh, yeah. have you on. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. having me. It's yeah. pretty awesome to be here. Okay, cool. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah. I'm glad you're excited. Okay, let's, let's talk about um, what brought you to Israel, how you got there, why you why you live where you live and where exactly you live before, so we can kind of frame okay. your um, role on October 7th, meaning where you were and where you are in relation to some of the other areas that have become pretty well known. Yeah. Um, so I'm from Chicago originally. I got married to my husband, who's from Florida, and we lived in Miami Beach actually hmm. for two, three, three and a half years. Um, and as, and then we had another kid and we kind of were like, okay, we could live here or we could not like, let's look for something. We're looking for something more. Um, we're looking for something more for our lives. And I've always loved Israel. 
Um, I have a connection. Like, my family has strong connections. My grandparents used to live there. Um, I loved Israel. My husband had never been there in his life before. Oh, cool. And I was like, let's move to Israel. And he's like, what? Like, what's Israel? Like, he had no, no concept, no connection. Um, it happened to be my sister was getting married um, around that time when we had this conversation. So I was like, okay, let's in Israel. So we went to Israel. Um, and I was like, it was a short trip and it wasn't a pilot trip. But it wasn't you, a what trip? A pilot trip, which is what, is people, what people do before they make Aliyah, before they okay. move to Israel. Like they go and research communities. I was just like, listen, come feel the vibe. Like see if you think you could do it. Um, and we went and he's like, okay, let's do it. So a year later, we did it. We made Aliyah with our two kids. Um, we moved to a city called Beersheba, which is in southern Israel. Um, it's a regular city. It's a city that's like universities and hospitals and like it has everything you could imagine. It's a major city in Israel. It's a major city. Yeah. Um, technically smallish, but it's a major city. We lived there for eight years. Um, we did a lot of cool stuff. We met really awesome people. Um, at some point, we were like, we want something more <laughs> again. Um, You're constantly I, in search of more. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm here for a reason. Um, we wanted, I wanted some space, like empty space, like place for my kids to be able to run around and, and run barefoot and have nature around us and be around like really good growth oriented people, um, that was still like very firm and religious and like have strong Jewish values around. Um, it took us a really, we looked for a long time. We visited different communities. We did a lot of research because I'm like, I can't, I have one last move in me. Um, I can't keep moving around. I have one last move. So. Or so we, you thought. Or so I thought. <laughs> Less, uh, just one year ago, like we moved in November of last year um, to this community, to this Moshav called Shuva. Um, a Moshav is a agricultural town, I think is what it's called. Um most people who live there farm or rent out, they have farmlands. So we rent a house from a farmer. Um, not everyone has that. There's, and then we're part of a community that's called a intentional community. Um, in English, it's called, in Hebrew, we call it a Garin, um, Garin Torani. It's an intentional community. They're um, people who have similar values about Judaism, basically. Um, they're just people who are religious and love Torah and mitzvahs and Hashem, um, and they want to make a life based on that. Um, it's a community within the Moshav. Yeah. Understood. Um, so the Moshav is mixed. It has religious and not religious people um, on Shabbat. And but the community is all religious. Correct. Got it. Um, on Shabbat, the gates, we have a gate surrounding the town. Um, most, like during the week, it's open all the time. And then on Shabbat, it's usually closed. Um, and anyone who lives there is able to open it. So there's no security guard there, but it's closed. Um, there's a head of security, like head of, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a person who lives there who's like in charge of the security. It doesn't mean he works, like there's no one guarding the Moshav on any regular basis. Um, so that's the Moshav. It's it's houses. There's some... How large are we talking? How many families? I think 120 or 150 families. It's small. It's small. Um, it has kindergartens there. My kids leave the Moshav to go to school. They get a school bus to go to school. There's a very small um, makolet in Hebrew, which is like a mix of like a convenience store and grocery store, I guess. It's like fresh bread and milk and everyone has a an account open with them. So the kids get to come and like 
buy candy and put it on our account and then the parents come mm -hmm. and get to pay for all of it. Um, it's a really awesome life, basically, in regular times. Um, you mentioned the Gaza envelope before. We knew when we moved there, communities in the Gaza envelope get rockets. That's life. Um, all the towns and towns alongside the border get rockets generally once or twice a year. And it's just part of life there. Um, it means that we have a house that has a safe room. Um, it's called a mamad in Hebrew. And so my one of my kids' bedroom is a safe room. It's a room that's able to be closed and protected from any missile attack um, rocket. Right, so a safe room, so it's a regular room in the home that's used as a regular room, and it happens to be built as a safe room so you can close the door. Yeah, and, and window. Rock, what? And right. the window also. Got it. So it's not a separate room in the house. It's right. a, a functioning room in the home. Correct. Got it. Which is kind of cool. Um, so that's, that's where we live. Um, so we knew when we moved there that we're signing up for this kind of lifestyle. And what did you think about that? Um, that we're strong, that we can do it. Um, we're like, it's okay. I, the plus sides of living there was okay enough to deal with the once or twice of year, like bad weather, let's say, right? So it's not the actual weather, but like, it's generally like, it's not a big deal. The kids are really, um, you didn't think of it as, uh, as risking your life or risking your children's life. It's just not at all. Got it. Um, I was like, this will just be part of their life. And they'll be stronger with it. And it's okay. Like, we're strong. We can do this. Um, so that was like a choice we made. And it was, it's not a choice that everybody would make. And it's not a great choice for everybody. I know families that have left that area because it's just too much. Um, when people are living there, is it on, is it constantly on someone's mind? For example, if we were sitting there having this kind of conversation pre-October 7 in your home, would we be thinking about how far we are from the safe room, if we can get there in, in, in advance of a siren. Is that on people's mind generally or people are just living their life? People totally just live their lives. Um, it's somewhere in their heads, meaning it's not, I don't think it's in their heads. You get used to what you're used to, you know? So let's say you came to my house today in Shuva, pre-October 7th. Um, you would be like, oh, what are those things on the side of the road? And they're... Um, it's called the Migonit, which is like a safe space. So it's not underground. And it's just like the cement structure on the side of the road. Every like hundred, maybe 500 meters or something like that or less, very often. And they paint them with beautiful pictures. Um, and it's a space to be able to run in. If you're there during a siren, you run in, you stay safe, and then you go up. I don't see them anymore. They're just part of life. I don't even notice. But people who come from outside all of a sudden notice that, oh, there's these... Understood. Um, yeah. And in Beersheba, you didn't have this life. So we had sirens sometimes in Beersheba, um, but not often at all. Right. Like, it yeah, was... In Tel Aviv, you can have sirens. In Jerusalem, right, you have sirens. right. So in Beersheba, it's more than in other places usually. Um, but in Beersheba also, we didn't, have a, we didn't have a mamad, we didn't have a safe room in our house. So we had to run from our house to the miklat, which is underground, safe space um but we had 60 seconds to get there in Beersheba, and in shuva we have 15 seconds so generally if you're out of the house you don't have time to get anywhere you either run into one of those cement things on the side of the road um or you just lay on the ground and you cover your head and that's it and it's very normal like life becomes normal you get used to what you're used to right um and we were okay doing like making that choice for our family
when you said that there was no security in the um, in your area, there was a head of security, but it wasn't there was an active security guard there at all times. Was this potential ever considered that terrorists can come in from Gaza being so close? Obviously not to the scale, but was it even thought of that maybe two or three can get in and something can happen or that wasn't part of life at all? It was just not there's at rockets, all. Israel protects the border, yeah. we're fine. Yeah. Got it. To the point that a lot of like people in like people hire Gazan workers in our in our community. Right. In our Moshab. Like it's not a threat. Do you understand? Like if it was a threat, then they wouldn't have them as workers necessarily. But it was like um, meaning there's different places in Israel. Let's say like you move to Yehuda Vishomron. Um, I don't know how to say it in English. Like the... Judea and Samaria. The, yeah. yeah. Um, when you move there, you know that like there are active threats um, that there could... Arabs might infl- like come over and do something to you um, on an act... Like on a regular basis. So that was like... A, that was a thought we actually had when we were looking for a community to move to. Um, actually, my husband was like, I'm really not comfortable living in that kind of area where it's an active threat. People there, everybody has guns, let's say. Not everybody. Most people have guns to protect themselves. Most Jews have guns to protect themselves. Right. That's on people's minds. Yeah. Understood. It's not like that in Shuvah at all. It's just like, oh, when right. the rockets Intentionally, come. you had said, Yehudah V'Shamron, Judea Samaria is not for your family because you have to worry about that threat. In the Gaza envelope, you weren't thinking about that. It was more rockets. And you said, right. okay, we can get used to that life. Yeah. Understood. How many children do you have? Five. Ages? Um, 11, nine, six, four. She's turning four in a few days. Um, and one and a half. Got it. Fine. So continue. I'll come back to a question I have related to the ages um, later on. Just some videos I saw of some of the hostages returning to school. But let's go into your story a little bit more before I go. Uh, um, so that's our Moshav. Right. And we love it. And it's amazing. And life there is Super idyllic, like really, really. Um, my kids are so happy. I, I'll like be honest with you here. We actually moved because one of my kids was having a really hard time in a regular school in Beersheba. Um, and it was, I was like, I can't keep putting my kids in a like system where it's, there's a lot of bullying and it's kind of except like it's, it was hard. The system was really hard for him. Um, and he, we found this school, the community that we're part of. They started a school. It's a super alternative school. Um, we are just kind of lets kids be kids. There's a lot of art and music and woodworking and outdoors as much as they can. Um, and it lets kids be really much kinder. Um, and so he joined the school before we actually moved there. And we're like, we have to move closer. Like, we want to move there also. Um, and he's doing so well now. And part of it is because he has this like support system. He feels supported all the time um, to the point that like we're here now. And I sent him to the huge school with tons of kids. Um, And I was like, I'm not sure if this is a good idea, but he went and he had a great time and he's like confident and cool. And he, he wasn't before that. So um, that's really why we moved there. And I'm really happy we moved there because of that. Cause it really, from the it starts from the adults, obviously, but it really goes down to all parts of the community. Um, there's just this kindness of an openness that's a sense really, of family. Yeah, yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Uh, talking about October seventh, what happened to your community, your family, etc. Um, so I'll explain to you where Shuva is. Uh, it's basically along the border of Gaza. There's like this. This is the border. 
And then Shuva is like right here. So we're a five minute so drive. Not everyone is going to watch this on video. So I'm going to explain it with words more. Yes. Okay. Um, most kibbutzim that were infiltrated were a 20 minute to five minute drive from them. So some of them, like because we're an agricultural moshav, it's just what's the thing between us is just a bunch of fields, a small like road, and that's the next kibbutz or moshav. Um, that's how close we are. We're close. Like, right. Between you and Gaza, there's just fields. But, well, there's these kibbutzim. They're like in between us and Gaza. Okay. There are some kibbutzim in between. Yeah. Got it. But then we're the next thing over. So we're four and a half kilometers from the border. Um, all the kibbutzim that were infiltrated were zero to four kilometers away. And then we're four and a half kilometers away. Understood. Um, so actually, we were... We had crazy miracles happen to us, and um, we were saved on many levels. October 7th, we were woken up um, 6.30 in the morning to sirens, which we kind of like, me and my husband looked at each other. We're like, it's not really the season for sirens. Like, it wasn't expected because there's this like, when you live there, there's a season. It happens like around the same time of year, and like everyone kind of like knows it's coming and like gets ready, you know? Um it wasn't in the weather forecast, you know? So we're like, what? What's going on? Okay. So we grab our kids. We run into the into the safe room and we close up the doors, the door and the window. Um, and then we're like, okay, we'll go back to sleep. And the kids went back to sleep, most of them. Um, but then all of a sudden it was usually it's like a rocket. We wait to hear a boom. We wait 10 minutes. And then there's usually time to like go out of the room, go into the rest of the house. We we stay home, but like we go into the rest of the house and like it's fine. But the sirens just kept coming. Um, sirens in Otafaza in the Gaza envelope are not actual sirens. They're just this nice, kind lady saying, Tseva Adom, Tseva Adom. Um, so it's not super scary for kids, which is awesome. But it just kept going and going. And we heard... Generally, we hear this like boom when it gets intercepted and stuff fall and it the booms kept coming. But then we also kept hearing different noises. We heard we had no idea what we were hearing. That's the truth. Um, we found out it was like gunshots and helicopters and tons of gunshots, like like insane amounts. And we're like, OK, it sounds weird. Let's just stay inside. Um, we don't have neighbors super close by. So. And we didn't leave because we were like, something scary is happening and we didn't know what. Um, we made the happy mistake that we didn't turn on our phones. Um, so it was Shabbat, which we generally don't use phones. Um, it 100% would have been appropriate for us to turn on our phones, like halakhically, according to halakha. Um, but we didn't. We didn't. Um, I think that saved us like for our emotional well-being. So we had no idea what was going on. The day was progressing. We're like, we got to stay home. We got to stay in our mamad, our safe room. Um, at a certain point. You continued to know that, that there was enough of a, enough yeah. going on. There continued to be sounds or yeah. sirens. Yeah, there were sirens it. continuously. Um, but even when there wasn't a siren, there was still like all these sounds of like a war. We're like, a war is coming. There's a war now. We didn't know what but it was war um that we knew we also looked outside at some point and saw smoke like black ashy smoke um 
And my husband is like, oh, looks like Gaza's on fire. And I looked at him. I was like, it's not Gaza. That's much closer. We have to stay, like, get inside. So we stayed inside. Um, we tried to make it as, like, cool and chill for the kids, even though, like, we didn't know what was happening, but we felt like something was happening. Um, my son, actually, he's 11. It's His room is the safe room. And in the beginning of the day, we have, because it's a agricultural moshav, um, we have mice, like, on a regular basis. It's just, like, make sure they don't come in the house kind of thing, you know? So he's like, no one's eating in my room because then the mice will come. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, that's a good boundary. Respect. But as the day progressed, I was like, dude, it's not, <laughs> it's not going to work out. Like, sorry. <laughs> um, so we had, like, games and food and snacks. And then... During the day, at some point, we saw the arm, this, a bunch of soldiers pull up in their tanks into our parking lot. We have a really big parking lot. Um, and I went outside, and my kids were around me. We were outside. It's crazy to think about now, okay? Right? In our, like, um, in our, how do you say, front, front yard. Um, in our front yard. And I said, what's going on? And the soldier was, like, in Hebrew. And the soldier said, do you... Do your kids understand English? I was like, yeah. So he didn't want to tell me what was going on. I remember looking at him and thinking, dude, it's the first day of war. Why do you look so bad? Like, he looked terrible. Like, I was like, as if he saw death. And then I was like, okay, I'll go inside. He's like, go inside the safe room, lock the door and stay there. I was like, okay. And again, like, I think my brain like protected me. And I was like, I still didn't turn on my phone. I didn't like try to like actually find out what was going on. Um, so we stayed inside till Shabbat was over. We turned on our phones and saw what was going on. Mm. Um, everyone in our community, like meaning we opened our like just community chat of people who keep Shabbat. There was like 350 messages. Like we missed every, everyone was talking um, and we saw what was going on. And then we were like, okay, put the kids to bed. They, I have one kid that was having a really hard time just from the side. Like she, she's a big empath. Um, and she, I'm sure she picked up that something heavy was going on around her. Um, so she was having a really hard time. She was having a hard time breathing. She was, she was having a hard time, but the rest of it, and we tried to like help her and do like moving and breathing. And she, it was, she was having a hard time. Um, but we put everyone back to sleep. And we didn't want to tell them what was actually going on. How do you tell that to a bunch of small kids? Like, um, so we put them to bed and we were like, okay, what do we do now? We got to stay in the safe room. Um, and we were talking with our community. Like, is it, when do we leave? What do we do? Um, it wasn't recommended that we leave then. So at that point, there still wasn't an understanding of that it's safe, even though it was well into the day, there still wasn't a sense that it's safe for you guys. Not at all. Not the roads. It wasn't safe for us. For Like, <coughs> everyone had to be in the mamad with a locked door. Um, unless they were doing security and protecting um, the houses. Um, and the roads weren't safe. Like, everyone was like, no one knows what's going on on the roads at all. It's possible that there are non-neutralized terrorists on the roads. So we're like, okay, we're going to stay home. Um <coughs> And that's when we found out kind of like more or less what our community was experiencing, the ones that were around that day. So we had um, 
a field hospital was set up right outside the entrance of Armoshav where they were bringing evacuees, um, some alive, some not. And then it was kind of like a triage hospital. So we have friends that are doctors and a friend of mine is a nurse and they were helping run this triage hospital. And so evacuees from other communities or soldiers yeah, or both? Um, both, everything. Anyone who was dealing with this infiltration massacres. Um, can I say any like gory details? Whatever is appropriate yeah. for you, yeah. Okay. Um, so like small things that we found out over the over the next like few days as we talked to our friends were like, they had tons of bodies that were piling up there of like, because that's how they were evacuating um, people. And they didn't have a way to cover when a Jewish person dies, they cover the body and they didn't have ways to cover them. So they were using these um, elections were supposed to be happening now. So there's these big election signs hanging up. So they were like tearing them down to cover the bodies, to give them the respect. Um and these are people, they're not like soldiers and Zaka workers that were doing this. These were like volunteer people that got up and were like, we're going to come and help. Um, at a certain point, a friend of ours that's a doctor also, he calls, he's like, there's a pile of bodies. We have to move it. So he calls the army. The army's like, we don't, we don't have the manpower right now. Call Zaka. Zaka's like, we don't have the manpower. We don't have the vehicles. Find someone with a... um. In Hebrew, it's called an agala. What do you call something that like attaches to your car that like you use for like moving? A wagon? I don't know. I don't know. A wagon. Exactly. Um, find someone with a wagon and move them. So our friend took his wagon, attached it to his car, and moved them. And afterwards, his wife is like, and now I'm moving my furniture with it? Like, what world is this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the the experience that was going on um it also our community is a very like peace love it's it's a bunch of hippies um so when they got together in the morning once they figured out like a bunch of people figured out what was going on and they're like okay we're gonna come and we're gonna like secure the moshav and protect it and so they came and got together and they're like everyone bring your ammunition like whatever you have and they had a total of five or six guns with like not extra um, weaponry right. from that. So the fact that that the Armushav was skipped over was a huge miracle. Because looking back, they're like, if somebody came to our door, like there would be no way we can protect ourselves. We just right. we didn't have it. Um, on top of that, um, okay. So like afterwards, also they found out we heard these like heavy noises that. I was like, okay, like now I was like remembering. I'm like, some were bullets and some, there was something else. Um, the helicopter from the army came at some point and they took out this group of terrorists in the fields right behind our house, um, this huge group. And afterwards they found a map of our Moshav on them. Like they were ready to infiltrate and they just, by luck, Hashem decided that it wasn't going to be our day. Um, they didn't get there. And it doesn't make sense according to nature that like they got into everything else, but not into ours. Um, we were saved, straight up saved. That's it. Um, so that's our October 7th day. Um, and so uh, 
during the day, my kids still didn't know. We put our kids to bed. They didn't know. And then we're like, okay, we got to go. We have to leave, right? Um, we didn't have any clean clothes at all because I didn't do laundry all of Sukkot from the beginning of Sukkot. Um, so I kept running. It was not a smart idea. <laughs> I ran out like from the safe room. I like threw in a load of laundry, switched it, did another one. I was like, okay, I could do two. That's it. Um, so then Sunday morning we woke up. We told, we said, okay, everybody hop in the car. We grabbed whatever we can. We didn't like pack. Um, we also wouldn't have been able to pack. We didn't know where we were going, what we were doing and how long we'd be gone for. So we're like, let's go. Um, so what made you make the decision to go? Uh, the sunlight. Sunlight made it seem safer. Um, also overnight, they said like, it seems like it's okay. Like it seems like all the terrorists are neutralized. Um, the roads should be safe. So we're like, okay, we're going to do it. We can't stay home. Like we can't be sitting ducks. They, it should be safe. And we have about a like seven minute drive till we get to the city of Nitivot. In Nitivot, it's, um, that was like a safe city. Like it, one or two terrorists got there, but nothing beyond that. So I'm like, all we have to do is get through Nativon and then we're good. Like it's not touching beyond that, except for rockets were coming to areas beyond that. But I'm like, that's fine. Rockets aren't even scary at this point, right? Like when you understood what was going on as the big picture, right? Um, and we understood because our, our community was taking care of like all these evacuees, like I mentioned. So like a friend of mine, she had kids come to her house because two kids were brought to the to the triage hospital. They didn't need medical attention, but they didn't have any parents. Oh. So they're like, what are we supposed to do with them? So they're like, can a mom take these two kids into their house? So my friend took them in, bathed them, fed them, took care of them. When you say kids, how old? Um, I don't remember. I think they're like seven and nine or oh. nine and... Small kids, small kids that were hiding in their, in a closet, in their safe room, hunched over for hours. Um, and they came in and took care of them, my friend. Like, they came to my friend's house and with their bloody clothes. Like, it was a bad situation. Um, and they stayed with them until they were able to ring them, until a friend was able to come and pick them up. Did most of your Moshav evacuate? Um, by Sunday, like on Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Almost everybody left. A couple um, men stayed for security purposes because we're like they're like we want to stay and secure the Moshe. Um, and a few older people. Um, most of the original people that are on the Moshe, they're from Tripoli, Tunisia area. They came many many years ago. Um, they're pretty stubborn, and some of them were just like, "No, we're here. Sorry, we're not leaving. <laughs> um, we're safe. We're fine. It's gonna be fine." So they didn't move, but it also it gives the army more work to do because it was like they had personal protection with them because it was not safe still. Um, so Sunday morning, most so the army wanted people to leave. Yeah, the army definitely wanted everyone to leave as much as possible. Right, less for them to worry about. Right, they didn't have um, like we have friends in nearby kibbutzim that were evacuated by by the army, meaning they left in like one like a army vehicle in the front. There like 20 cars could go, another army vehicle at the back, and that's how they were evacuated. Um, so we were, because we're like that half a kilometer further, they're like, everyone just leave. We don't have the manpower to actually take you out. You're on your own. Figure it out. 
Um, and we did. Um, we have friends that left like on Simcha's Torah. I have a friend that left at 12 p.m. She was like, I can't sit here and wait for this to happen to me. And so she grabbed her kids and she left. And she realized afterwards it was like the most dangerous time to leave because there were terrorists all over still, all over. And she's like, I didn't see anything. I didn't look. I put my foot on the gas and I just drove. I drove to my parents' house and that was it. Like, that was it. Um, so we didn't leave during that, mm -hmm. like, some close day. And we didn't want to leave at night because nighttime is definitely scary. But, like, overnight, besides for the sun is shining and, like, you could see what, you know, you could see what's going on. The roads by us are really dark. It's like country roads. Yeah, I understand. Um, so we decided to leave in the morning because they're like, it's safe. And we, I didn't look at, like, we... Me and my husband both were just like, and we told our kids, we're like, just look ahead. Don't look at the sides of the road because the sides of the road had still bodies, cutting oh, wow. car parts, like not good stuff. Um, so we just like forged ahead and we didn't know where we were going. We, I, we had to drive like past Beresheva and then we're like, okay, I messaged, I have a lot of friends there. So I messaged some friends. I was like, we might come stay by you, live by you. We don't know, have a plan, but like just in case we show up at your door. I'm letting you know. Um, so we did that. And then we were talking with our community. And it sounded like a lot was like a safe space to go to at the time. Isn't that all the way in the south? All the way in the south. But like super far south that like most times during war, it's like ignored. Like it, It's not on the border of Gaza? It's not on the border of Gaza at all because it's like way further. It juts it's, out a little bit. Yeah. Oh, just like it. it's just like a triangle shape. And it's like the tip of the triangle. Kind of. Um, it's close to Jordan, but everyone was like, Jordan's not joining this war. We're fine. Um, now they're actually getting rockets that they think are coming from Yemen. Um, but for the first, like we went down to a lot. Um, it's where the army was evacuating a lot of people also. Um, so the army was evacuating people to like hotels. Um, so because we weren't actually evacuated by the army, we were on our own to figure out what to do. Um, so friends of ours, like people in the community, they're like, okay, some people could go here um, to one location. And we chose to go to this place called Park Timna. It, it's this like glamping adventure site in a cool, it's a really cool experience if you're ever there in general. If you're um, there by choice. By choice. <laughs> it's a cool, it's a cool experience. It's terrible to go to and pretend you're living there. Um, but that's when we started experiencing this beautiful unity of the Jewish people um, and getting crazy amounts of chesed from people. We showed up. We had like the basics of what we needed, but we had friends of ours that left. Um, I have a friend, the friend that took in those two kids. They left Shuva with 10 people in their seven-seater car and a large dog, and they didn't bring anything with them. Nothing. They're like, we got to go. We left. Um, so they didn't have anything with them. And we show up to the site and people from a lot, just random people in general, like, you know, there's like this organization could help with this and different organizations help with different stuff. And this was just like people showed up like we're your family and we're here for you. They brought everything. We were also at a point of like not being able to think even what we needed at all. Um, they showed up with clothing, underwear, hygiene products, food books, games, toys, everything. Literally everything we could imagine. Was this coming from the locals? Was this coming from... Locals in a lot. Like we were 20 minutes from a lot. So locals from a lot 
random people. They were like, we heard there's refugees here. We want to help you and take care of you. Um, We ended up staying there for a week. And in that week, it was mind boggling what we received. Like to the point, like for the Shabbat, we were there. We didn't have, uh, there's no Erev, which is, I don't know how to explain it. Um, there was no Erev, so we could carry on Shabbat, and everything was intense all it's over. It's a Jewish instrument meant to allow people to carry on the Sabbath, there which is go. traditionally forbidden. Um, so some local people from Elah, like got in contact with them, and they're like, we'll come build it for you. Don't worry, we'll take care of it. <laughs> like, done. It's such a like silly, small thing, but someone someone just showed up and did it. Um, and that whole week we experienced like people just showing up for us, like like we were with family, and and we were taken care of. Um, we had one day, some people came and they're like, we're going to take the, all the girls on a trip. And they went, they took them ice skating and arcades and out to eat. And the next day they did it for all the boys. And we were sitting there, like all of us moms were sitting and hanging out. We're like, huh? Okay. So our kids, like we could think for one second, like for this one hour, we had this like silence of like, oh, what just happened to us? Because um, the whole time we're with our kids and we're kind of like making sure everything's okay and pretending everything was okay. So bring us through from then to kind of, you're yeah. here now in, in Miami and South Florida with your family? Yeah. So you um, left? We came to vacation. Got it. <laughs> um, we basically, and then we moved, our community moved to the, a different place that we've been with them in this large refugee camp, basically. It's like a hotel-ish um, with 45 families from Where our community this? in Kibbutz Almog, which is across the street from, like across the highway from Mitzbeh Yericho. Um, Mitzbeh Yericho. It's half an hour outside Jerusalem. Okay. It's so in, not in the south here. Not in the south. It's near Jerusalem, but it's over the green line. So it's uh, it's across the street from Yericho, from Jericho. Okay. Where there's lots of Arabs. Um, we didn't really realize where we were going, um, but we're there and it's super secure and safe and it was really good. So we're living in this refugee camp. So why not go back home at this point? What's going on there that doesn't allow you to? Oh, to our house. Yes. Our house still today is called Shetach Tzvai Sagul, which is closed military zone. Um, the military's in Shuva, like that, they're stationed there. Um, so you're not even allowed to go back home if you want to. So we can go. We are welcome to go to our houses. They just are telling us it's a military zone. So you're welcome to come, but it's a military zone. Um, what that means is like I went back one day. Um, I felt like I had to remember I had a home. I had to clean my house. I had to like, I forgot how my house looked like straight up. Like I was like, oh, my kitchen's pretty nice. Um, so I went back and I was like, maybe we could just come back. Maybe we could just live there. It's really living not in a home is really hard. We don't have, right. I don't have a way to cook and to like take care of, like I, it's my love language is cooking, right? So I'm like, who am I without being able to cook and bake? It's really hard. Um, and my kids don't, ha- we don't have space to like just be. There's no uh, couch with a living room. Um, I remember like I, at one point I was like, I got to get out of here. Like I need my own space. We op- When you open the door to your room, you're around all your friends and community. Like there's no, there's no entrance way. There's no front yard. There's no. You're saying in the refugee camp. Yeah, in our refugee like, camp. Like cabins or tents or cabins. cabins. Got it. So they're like nice. They're like suites, small suites, basically. 
Um, it's traditionally a hotel? Yeah. Understood. Um, but it's like a lot of outdoor space. But basically, if you walk out, you're like, hello, friend. That like, yeah, they're all my friends. I love mm-hmm. them. But like, come on, give me a couch with a living room or something. So at some point, I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to go away. So most of our community is Israelis. So they would go for Shabbat. They would go to family. Um, I have one sister who lives there, and that's it. I don't have other family. Um, and most of my friends live in Beersheba where there's sirens on a regular basis still. And my kids are, n- they were not up for it. At this point, what have you told your kids? Oh, I forgot to go back to that. Um, so once we were in the car on our way down, I was like, well, we got to tell them what's going on. At least my older kids, because we're about to go with a bunch of other families, a bunch of other families that live this in different ways than us, mm-hmm. right? Um, families that may or may not have lost family and friends, um, really good friends of ours still have their uncle, like my, um, his brother is still missing. Um, these kids' grandmother was taken hostage. She was wounded, and then she played dead on the side of the road, crawled back to her moshav, to her kibbutz, came back to her son's house, and saved herself like that on her own. And she just went back a few, like last week, she went back to visit her house. Like, she's okay. But this is stuff my kids' friends are not just reading in the news. They're living it. So I was like, okay, we have to tell our kids what's going on. Um, so we t- And like saying to Hillam, you know, when, when you say like, oh, we're praying for soldiers. And my kids are sitting and they're not praying for random soldiers. They're praying for their friends and their friends of friends or their teacher's friends or their teachers, right? Like it's so their real life. Them. What? So what did you tell your kids about what happened? So we October told our 7th? older kids that like this is a war now. And we slowly told them there's hostages and and that a lot of people died. Um, obviously, we didn't get into numbers, although my 11-year-old definitely knows more than me at this point. Um, my younger kids still, like, we didn't get into details with them because it's not important. Um, also, my six-year-old is the one that was having a really hard time with all of it. We're just like, it's a war. We can't go home until the army says it's safe. We can't go home. That's, like, kind of how it's packaged for them. Um, my I have to say this though, my six year old that she was having this hard time. I was like, I don't even know how to help her right now. So I did some like energy healing for her, um, twice, and then she kind of was able to like breathe for the first time in like twenty over twenty four hours, and it was really really awesome to see. Um, I did it for myself as well at some point. When you say did energy healing, it's mean you. You do it yourself or you No, no, I had someone work on her. Um, They're like, can we talk? Do you want to do it like talking to us? I was like, no, just fix it. (laughs) Um, We're not, we weren't up for talking about anything, you know? Um, So that's, where was I? Um, We were talking about what you were telling your kids. Yeah. So my younger kids still, they're just like, they know that at this point, like my six year old knows there's hostages because like there's pictures all over and, um, she knows more. My younger kids, my youngest, don't like it's just there's a war. We're waiting till it's safe to go back home. And it's they accept that. Right. The reason I asked him, besides for the obvious, is that a couple of days ago I saw a video of I forget the name of the girl, but probably somewhere between the ages of seven and nine, who was taken hostage yeah. and as part of the um uh the release that happened last week, she came out and the video was of her going into a, 
I guess, school for the yeah, first day. Have gone. you seen this video? Yeah. So the teacher opens up the metal gate. She walks in. And there were many different age students around. So I guess it was a small school or a small group. And the way they were comforting and consoling her, it was clear that they knew a lot about what had happened. Right. She wasn't just gone for a couple of weeks and now she's coming back right. to, to school. And some of them in the videos appeared to be real young, four or five years old. Yeah. And they're hugging her and holding on to her and patting her on the back. I was like, wow, like these kids know a lot yeah. about what happened. So that's why I was curious. So they do because they, I'm sure, I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure that she went back to her to her preschool that's not in the place where she's from, but it's in a hotel or in a place where like they, we, the communities have tried to stay together. So then, and then we have rebuilt our like system, like school systems there. So their kids, the kids that she was going back to, if this was the gun that she came from, the preschool that she went mm -hmm. to, um, they're kids who have experienced it. They were the kids who were hiding in rooms. They were the kids right, who lost parents. They, it, it's not information for them. It's experience, you know? Like it wasn't things that someone had to Understood, tell them. right? Meaning if there was a girl taken hostage from a school, then likely a lot of the other girls were directly affected by yeah. whatever happened on October 7th. Yeah. Okay, you were talking about why you chose not to live at home. So you had gone back home not long ago just to remind yeah. yourself that you had a house. So what did you see that led you to the conclusion that you don't want to go back there? Um, so I went back to my house. Um, and as I, I was like, let me see how it feels, you know? Um, so as I was driving, I remember seeing this like big cloud of dark smoke. And I was like, that's what I'm driving to. My goal is to get as close as to the dark smoke I can get to. And that's my house. I was like, that's depressing. I'm sorry. I can't like... That's crazy. And then as I drove in, um, I felt like I was in a war zone. And I was like trying to like place the feeling, you know? Um, that dark smoke is coming from Gaza. Now it's coming from Gaza. Right. On the on Simchat Torah, it wasn't. It was coming from the kibbutzim that were on fire. Um, now it's coming from Gaza. So then I went into my house. I was like, okay, let me, I spent like three hours there. I was like, let me just feel it. Let me feel what's going on here. And... The ground was shaking from the bombing that was happening by the Israelis into Gaza. Mm -hmm. um, and I, when we, at some point we told the head of security, there were like, there's army, the soldiers are here. If anyone needs to use our house, they're welcome to. The door is open. We left the door open. We don't, we took the things that we need and like, whatever. It's not clean, but the house is available. Because um, again, we left. I didn't have time to like clean up and make it, you know. So I wasn't sure if someone was there or not. So I remember I was doing it on Instagram. I was like um, videoing it and I didn't notice this, but uh, my sister was like, Mecha, you knocked on your door of your house before you walked in, like your own door. I was like, oh, I did. Um, there were soldiers there. I could tell there were soldiers because there's like all their stuff. Um, they took down our sukkah for us, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. Wrapped it up nicely. They're like, no, the rain is coming. We didn't want it to get ruined. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so we have soldiers living in our house right now. So I was talking to them a little bit. They're like, oh, are you guys coming back? I was like, no, I don't think so. Um, so I came and I was talking to them a little bit and I was like, what's, how does it feel? Um, and one of them said the booms, like he's like during the day, we already like, you get used to what you're used to, what, whatever you're around, you get used to. 
Um, and he said, but honestly, at night, sometimes I wake up from like a big boom and it's scary. And I was like, this is this like big brave soldier who's telling me he wakes up scared sometimes. I have five small children. It's not what I'm bringing my kids back to. Right. Understood. Um, not at all. So we stayed on the kibbutz, even though it's it's not comfortable. Nothing about it is comfortable, even though we experience we keep experiencing this chesed, this giving of the Jewish community um, in crazy, crazy ways. I can't even explain to you. We have everything like people are giving um, a community within Israel donated fridges to everybody so that we could we're there for a long time now. We're, I think, seven weeks, eight weeks there already. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone kind of needs their independence. People are, we're independent people. Um, And it's hard that, like, we have this cafeteria where we get food, but, like, the food isn't necessarily great. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Um, That hours don't necessarily work, especially when you have, like, large families and, like, big kids and small kids and, it's complicated. So we got fridges donated um, and uh, stovetop, like mm-hmm. burners um, and some closets because we're like, we have stuff. People have stuff. <laughs> um, in addition to like, we have singers come and do concerts for us and people coming to do activities for kids, for adults, um, different therapies, like both like in Hebrew, it's called gufnefesh, which is like emotional well-being, like massage, reflexology, different types of therapies like that, but also social workers and talk therapists for adults and children, people coming and volunteering their time to do this. But I think this is one of the most, the the least recognized aspects of the war is the amount of refugees within Israel. It's spoken about a lot um, on the Gaza side. Yeah. Where how many, I mean, it is terrible there. I mean, the millions of people which are um, being displaced for good reason, but, right. you know, it's still rough. But it's not spoken about the hundreds of thousands in the north and the south who've been forced to right. move within Israel. Um, it's part of why I, I I told you before, I'm not someone who talks. Um, I know I've been going around and kind of trying to like spread some kind of message because um, it's important for me, for people to understand what's actually going on. Um, that there's hundreds of thousands of people that are displaced and it doesn't matter. Some people are in really nice hotels. Um, but I guarantee you there's not any hotel that I would like to be living in for two months with lots of children. Um, small things like how do you do laundry when you're living in a hotel, right? So when we first got there, we had people coming, picking up our laundry, washing it, folding it, and returning it to us. Wow. Where are these people from? From the kibbutz nearby, like just people. Nice. We heard there's refugees. We want to help. How can we help? Laundry. Okay, done pick it up like in it doesn't make sense who picks up people's dirty laundry mm. by the like carload not like mm. i'll do you a favor as a we friend a lot of kids right yeah and a lot of people also like we're 45 families we're in in our specific refugee camp we're 250 people it's a lot of people um so like stuff like that then eventually we got uh someone organized donations of washing machines and dryers so we have a whole little um laundry room built up which is kind of cute and sweet i got to like hang out with my friends while i was doing my laundry what happens with schooling and regular life that's all on hold um so no it's another thing that's really cool um we have a lot of teachers with us like the principal of my kid's school is with us and some teachers so 
we've kind of, I shouldn't say we, I have, I was not functional, um, but people have, people from the community have built a system. Um, some grades and some genders stay on the kibbutz and, and have teachers that teach them. Um, I mentioned my kid's school is really alternative. So like my 11 year old boy, they like start their morning, they go out on a hike, they do, um, tefillah prayers, like out on their hike, uh, and they come back, they eat breakfast, they do like learning for a little bit, and then they do woodworking or different activity. They have a schedule. It's I pretty loose, so. um, but it's good for them. And then certain ages go to a school nearby in Mitzvah Yericho, which is a yeshuv five minutes away. Um, the local municipality provides transportation for them. So my kids got picked up 7.30 in the morning, like regular life. It felt really good. Um put the kids on the school bus that comes with security to local yeshuv. They joined the school. Now the school, we had a meeting recently with the principal. Uh, he's like, before this school year, I had two kids that wanted to get into the school. I told the parents, I don't have space. It's not that I'm saying no to your kids. I don't physically have space to be able to incorporate your two kids into my school. And he's like, I did it. It's just life. That's what I had to do. And he's like, now two months later, I have over 300 extra students in my school. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what life is. We don't know where it takes us. And Hashem provides it. Um, and people, like, they've had, they, they've, like, found, I don't even know where they found classrooms, but, like, they've made, I think, teachers' rooms into classrooms. They've gotten, like, chair proper chairs and desks for each student. Um, books. My kids got, like, new backpacks, pencil cases, because that, to not make it on the list of things I grabbed when I left the house. Um, new pencil cases and like beautiful stuff. My kids felt so good. So in that sense, they have their like kind of like regular life um, going. Um, it's not super regular, right? And also for the gone age, like for preschool age kids, we started uh, like from one, one to three. I was working in it actually. Um, I was a teacher there. And then from three to six also. Um, we started schooling, and it's really awesome, and it works well. Um, awesome. So let's bring this to your decision to uh, speak and share your story and share what's going on. What is it that you want people who are hearing you uh, to take away from, um, uh, from your story? So I, it, this wasn't like super pre-planned, meaning a couple weeks ago a friend of mine was like, hey, do you want to do this interview on Chabad.org? And I was like, it came from me fetching to her i was randomly just complaining and saying life here is crazy and bad like it's just life is hard it's really really hard here um i don't have space i don't have time i there's nothing not and i don't know how to get it i have all these people offering help right i have all these tons of people offering all kinds of help and i'm just like i feel like i'm choking and drowning and i don't know what to do um and she offered, she's like, hey, do you want to do this interview? I was like, yes, even though this is not something I do. I don't talk to strangers at all. Um, it's not my comfort zone. But I was like, I feel really strongly that it's important for the world to hear um, what's going on. It's it's really easy to read the news and see all the posts on, on social media. And there's a lot of it. Um, I haven't even been watching it or seeing it. When I was in Israel, I couldn't. I was like, I'm experiencing it. I don't need extra pictures. Um, 
but I feel it's really, this is like, I have a small niche part of life that I don't think is making it to the news because it's, it's not gory and it's not, you know, there's hostages and it's, right. not, it's not sensational. It's not sensational. Exactly. But it's very real and it's yes. real for so many people. I was like, it's one thing if it was me experiencing this and my family or just me and my small community, but it's not, it's so many people experiencing this. And it's also kind of like, how are we going to move forward from this? We have a lot of like questions about the future. Um, how do we go back? Let's say the government says you can go back in two weeks from now. It's possible they will. Um, we don't know how we're going to be able to go back from there. So I was like, it's important for the world to know, like, if we need help to get back, to go back to life after this, they should know what we've been experiencing up until now. Um, and I also wanted to, like, spread this message of, like, this unity that I felt so strongly at the beginning of the war that, like, we're brothers and sisters and we're here for you and we're we're taking care of each other and, like, we're here. We're one. We're one unit. We're part of one heart mm -hmm. and and we're one unit. And I felt like it was a little bit waning, um, that feeling, not necessarily within Israel, but like, I don't know, from what I was seeing and hearing, I was like, I feel like it's waning. And I think it's so important that we hold on to that because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Um, in Israel, all over, there's all these signs like that says, that say, that's like the motto. Right. Um, but it feels to me from the outside looking in that there is, it could be just media portraying it this way. But around the hostage situation, like those, like that has the potential to tear Israel apart. To tell me, tell me what you mean by that. Um, just in terms of the path going forward, is there were there was hundred or so people released. There's still a hundred, you know, thirty, forty, fifty still as right. hostages inside Gaza. Um, Hamas has thrown out these ideas of an all or you know an all for all. You right. release all Palestinian um, prisoners, you know, be they terrorists, murderers, or right. anyone else, then we'll release these, right. you know, innocent people that we've um, that we've taken hostage. And some who have children or husbands or family members as part of that are pushing for that and could potentially see the war as the ongoing war now as a... Um, as something that makes that less possible. So it just seems like that has a, right. a little potential to fracture um, yeah. Israel. I agree. Um, I also really truly believe that the only way we're going to get through this is with Hashem's help. There's not a natural way that makes sense that this story is ending. I really don't think. Um, Why? Well, what do you see as the potential possibilities, well, outcomes of where this well, I think that like October 7th showed us very clearly that the things that we have to rely on are not necessarily the things that are going to protect us. Um, we're part of a very like uh, the community that we're part of is very Zionistic. OK, so there's this like belief we're we built Israel. We have a strong army and we're unbeatable. Right. And then October 7th happened and I was like. We're beatable. If if we're talking about the strong army, the army failed. Um, no, one, it's not spoken about now. But something happened over on October seventh that was not nature. Um, I don't. I don't think it makes sense 
that that amount of terrorists were able to infiltrate. Um, they say it was in nature. I mean, like in the natural consequence of like it doesn't make sense that that the terrorists infiltrated the way they did. And therefore, what? What are you suggesting? Um, we can't rely on the things that like we should have been able to rely on the army and the government protecting us. Like you asked me earlier, right. were we ever scared to live near Gaza? And I said, no, because we have this wall, right? It's, it's not a penetratable wall. That's what it was made to feel like, right? Impenetrable. It, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what you said, yeah. And it then meant to be, that was the way it was positioned as yeah. impenetrable. And then it was. Right. They got through. In a crazy way, not one terrorist came through. Right? Right. They overran the system for sure. In a big way. Right. And the question was what was missed, right? There's a lot of questions unanswered. It's a lot of unanswered questions. So right. what I think I'm saying is that I, I don't think that I'm relying on the government solely and the army to solve this problem. I don't think they're strong. Like, there's a crazy amount of strength that needs to be had in order to do what needs to be done, in my opinion. Okay, so let me, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is that you and likely many people within Israel who lived based on this confidence and the strength of the IDF and that it's generally safe no longer have that to rely on. Um, specifically in the area where we live. I don't think that's specific to it because um, Israel is surrounded, right? Meaning it's no secret that Hezbollah has many times the military might of Hamas. Right. They haven't used it. Right. But if it can happen in the south, it can happen right. many times over in the north mathematically. I, I guess the question is, could Israel get caught with their pants down? Meaning it's not really about military might. Right. Might for might, Israel will um, militarily fail. No, militarily, they'll be able to destroy Hamas, militarily, might for might. It's some of the political stuff that make it more difficult. Right. But might for might, they could. Over here was a failure of intelligence, or right. there are a lot of conspiracies floating around, which right. all everything, I think, should be considered because something is, isn't adding up. Right. So I think I'm saying that we can't just rely on the military and government. And, right. Okay. And therefore, what? Um, what is the consequence of that? You were saying that we would not be able to that there is no natural outcome that you see that's workable in some way. So I want to say, what are the ones that you, what are the ones that you see potentially? Where do you see this going? So that's why I think that like the Jews really need to stick together and have this unity, this crazy, crazy unity. Um, and God will kick in and save us in a, in a, some way above nature because what the direction it's going. And I'll tell you like this, we're in our refugee camp where um, most men are on reserve duty, right? Um, right. That's another thing we didn't even touch on. Right. Yet. Exactly. There's so many things. Okay. So Your husband is not. My husband is not because we moved to Israel when it, he was too old to join. Right. Um, which is great. Baruch Hashem. I thank God for that. Um, but most people are. Okay. Right. So because we have this like commune life. Every time someone would, as someone's husband would come back, it wasn't like a private weekend. 
or hours, it was like, hey, friend, welcome. And then everyone would sit and talk and because everyone's excited to see them also because we're living this like super communal life, right? Um, so we got talking to people who are inside Gaza most of the time. A bunch of the guys are in a lot. Some of the guys are up north and in different places, but some of them are in Gaza. And we have a friend that's there. And during the ceasefire, he came back because he's like, I'm not... He's not a soldier. He's a doctor. And so he gets to kind of like make choices for where he is and what he's doing. So during the ceasefire, he's like, I'm not sitting around waiting if we're not busy. Um, I'll be here if you need me. Call me if you need me. But otherwise, I'm going to go spend time with my family. Right. So he came back and he was like, this is terrible. Like having the ceasefire is only going to make going back in harder and worse and we look bad in the media like israel is doing harsh stuff in gaza right now mm. it's not nice at all um i was talking to my sister at some point and i was like i want to like say that the numbers are being sensationalized like how many people are being killed in gaza but i'm pretty sure they're not and then the army actually said it's not specifically right but it's generally right um, it's not something nice and good. We're also, um, a lot of our friends are people that have been evacuated from Gush Katif many years ago. Um, and they're like, obviously this happened. Like, what did we think was going to happen as a result from evacuating Gush Katif, you know? So I don't That's think... It's really spoken about, by the way. I know. Really spoken about. In in America, in Israel, it's spoken it's about a lot. About. Yeah. Okay. You don't hear anyone talking about it. Yeah. It's spoken about a lot there. Um, I have friends that... They live in Shuva with us, and she was a teenager during the evacuation. And she's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back. I can't, I don't know if I could keep playing this game that the government, like I'm a small piece in this game the government is playing, right? Um, she's like, I think I need to just be far away. Like, I'm not sure I'm up for this. Okay, so um, make sure I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is, is that naturally we're pretty screwed. Yeah. So the only solution, you see, right? So the only solution you see is a metaphysical one, a spiritual one, a godly one. Yeah. And what that seems like to you is just an incredible Jewish unity, and and that unified voice asking God for His protection. Yeah. And Him seeing the unity, perhaps we'll get it because we're past the realm of something natural being able to help us. We need something supernatural. And the best way to get that is through unity. Yeah. That was said really well. I wasn't sure. I I don't know if I, I followed my thought process before you got to that. Um, but yes, I do feel like that. Okay, good. Um, that was cool. That's over here. Yeah. Um, I guess, right, I guess it's a, um, so how did you arrive at that conclusion? Meaning it sounds nice. It sounds We've, nice. What? It, it sounds sound nice, nice. Right. right? Uh we've heard that a lot growing up. You know, we're also we're always told the second base of the second second temple was destroyed because of baseless hate. Right. And uh, the way to rectify that is baseless love. Right. And in that environment it's very safe. By the way, separately from this, I just came across this in a letter of the Rebbe. The do you know where the first base of Mikdash was destroyed? The first temple was destroyed? No. It was because there wasn't appropriate love 
for the Torah. And it didn't actually have to do with observance. It huh. sounded like it was just the love for the Torah had seized. Meaning there can be tremendous love for the Torah that's divorced from observance. Someone can be observant and not right. have tremendous love. Someone can be not observant, not fully observant, and have tremendous love. It's yeah. a separate thing. But there wasn't that tremendous huh. love and more than love, um, let's say respect, but adoration or awe yeah. of the Torah. Like yeah. this is something that's a very so respected and cherished. It's also barely spoken about, but I can Yeah, it really isn't. But, but it's so interesting that you're saying that because it's part of the reason why um, part of what I found in our community in Shuva that I didn't find in many communities that like this intense and and people's actual observance varies greatly in this community in a big way. There are people that don't cover their hair, meaning everybody keeps in our community Shabbat and kosher. But like beyond that, like the small details vary so greatly. And the one thing that connects everybody is this love and like wanting to make Torah their life. Um, so it's so cool that that's connected. Right. Despite, despite the fact that there isn't necessarily exact observance. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, right. So outside of... Hearing that growing up, it's almost a, a mythological a, right. a part of Jewish mythology is this idea of Jewish unity gives us divine protection. Is there a way that you can explain it to someone who's not on board in a practical in a practical way? Because and leading up to this, for example, in Israel, I don't know what it was like again inside, but from the outside looking in, there was a real fracturing of the system. Like major, major, major. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before the Chagim, I was like, are we going to have a civil war? I felt like this is um, this is what leads up to a civil war. And my husband's like, what? I was like, why wouldn't there be a civil war now? There's going to be like something huge is about to happen. There's this fracture. Something's going to crack and break. And I, what makes sense, the next step to me is like this civil war. There will be, there's this uh, Israeli TV show, actually. It's not super popular, and I haven't been able to watch it, but they make this um, fictitious um, idea of, like, a two-state solution, but of religious and not religious people. Oh, okay. With a wall in between, okay? It's pretty crazy, and I couldn't watch it because I was like, I feel it. It's not new. It's, like, it's from a few years ago. I haven't been able to watch it because I was like, I could see that possibly happening in Israel at some point. Like, it doesn't seem good. It seems terrible. Is, is that where the divide is? The divide amongst those who consider themselves religious and those who don't? Is that? It's like a little bit more fluid than that, right? Because um, life is not black and white. But in general, it was like the right wing is more religious and the le like the left is less religious and and the divide was between the right and the left right um it doesn't mean that there are not right of course people in between but in general like the extreme right was religious and the extreme left was not religious is not um and now i was like it's crazy because time like what is time um uh, just a few weeks after this like feeling that there's going to be a civil war everyone's brothers and sisters again. Like, as if that that divide didn't happen at all. Right. Um, 
But I do feel like even that, like it's starting to kind of tear apart a little bit also in Israel, like you said. So where do you see it tearing apart? The hostage hostage situation, like you had mentioned. Um, People just want to be with their families, which is understandable. They're like, just make it happen. Get our hostages back. Um, Get our family back. They're not just random people. Do people see it um, as the last hostage deal led to this game plan by Hamas for this many hostages? Is that, is that take, like, are, are you hearing that? Not I mean, like they did pretty well on uh, the Gilad Shalit deal. Right. Hamas did. Um, not like super loudly. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not a crazy expert politically. I'm not an expert at all. In all right. I mean, more in the. But I'm saying like here. the conversation on the ground. It's not something that's spoken about. It's it's more spoken about how like the government is really weak. In and, what sense? Um, in the sense that it's not a. It, the government was not like voted in with like a big majority of a vote. Okay. Um, and in one second. It, everybody feels like we've had a lot of elections recently. Um, that leads to a weak government. The government is not a strong, there's not strong leadership. Um, it's not a strong, well-unified government. Um, it's and I feel like one which was would be able to get this hostage deal done. One, one which was might have not allowed this whole situation to happen. Right, but we are where we are now. Um, one which was probably wouldn't have done this hostage. I don't know what they would have done, but um, I think Hamas also knows. I mean, they actually have gotten that answer. Um, Hamas knew that they had a not strong government to play with. Um, and it was part of their decision. Like, that's how they that's how they pulled it off was because there were all these like miscommunications, like people missed. Um, even just like the government, there was a handoff from the government. Unless, uh, what's his name? Who was the prime minister before BB just now? Uh, yeah, Naftali Bennett. And, yeah, Naftali uh, Bennett. Yeah. So, like, they're supposed to, like, hand off information from him to the current prime minister, and they didn't want to talk to each other. So instead of it being, like, a like few days or weeks, it was, like, a much shorter time. Okay? So, like, information is being missed, obviously. Um, and our enemies know that. And I think that, you're right, it is a mythological thing. Like, when the Jews are together, Hashem protects us and takes care of us but you kind of see it practically like in what happened just now right meaning okay so i understand what you're saying is that practically speaking an enemy is more likely to attack if they see disunity yeah right it suggests a sort of weakness now is an opportune time to attack we can turn them against each other quite yeah. easily. Yeah. And yeah, my, f- it's interesting. There are a couple of things. It's number one, like you have the disunity, but if you look back a little bit, you have the disengagement from Gaza in 2005. You have the Gilad Shalit deal, which those things seem to have played very strongly into what's going on yeah. now, both from the, the strategy of Hamas and the capability of Hamas. I don't see, I, I barely hear anything about the disengagement. Like, kind of what I want to scream is that almost everyone calling for a ceasefire now, forget the hostage deal, I'm talking like for ceasefire, ceasefire, yeah. not a temporary one to, to deal with the hostage situation. Everyone calling for that 
most likely were or would have been calling for the disengagement from Gaza, which most likely led to not only the attack on October 7th, but the tens of thousands of people who will likely end up being killed in Gaza uh, during the course of this this war. So it's made it more dangerous, more volatile for... Um, for everyone, but for whatever reason, very few people are are discussing it. But another thing I thought, right after October 7th, I was like, what is Hamas thinking? Israel's going to go in and absolutely decimate them. And now as you kind of see it play out, I was like, wow, it's not so simple. There's a lot of pressure to stop and whether or not Israel will actually carry out in what they said is doubtful for many. Certainly right. for, for certainly for me, I'm not 100% sure that um, Israel has what it takes to to push right. through all of the political and pre- the political pressure to yeah. to not move forward with this. So that's that's what I'm saying is that like I don't see a way that like in the beginning I was like okay done like the gov- the army's going to just take care of Gaza. I don't care how. It's not my job to figure out how and when and the details, but they'll take care of it and then we'll move back home and we'll be fine. And as we're sitting there in our refugee camp, I was like, "Oh no." It's kind of like kids in a family um, when they like feel like their parents are like unified together and they like have it together. They know what kind of behavior they're able to kind of like try to push and pull and, you know, and now I feel like a child sitting in a family unit where the parents are just like not um, responsible, like they're not able to do the job that they're supposed to do. Um and that's hard to like watch and be part of because like it's your job. You're supposed to do the thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. And I don't think that they I don't think that they're strong enough to do it right now. Um by themselves. So there's two parts of that. Meaning on the one hand, because yes, yeah, with parent and child, it's very clear who's responsible um for the dynamic in the home. It's the parents. But with a country and its leadership, you can kind of go in one direction or the other. You can point at the country because we're all adults. You know, you can point at the country and say, hey, Are we we're fractured. Adults? Are we adults? Yeah. Meaning? People who live in a country that has a government. What makes us adults? Uh, we're the- citizens who can vote and who can... Um, make certain decisions and come together on issues. What I mean mean is like this, is that there's a, there was, there's a fracture in Israel, right? There was, yeah. you're, you're seeing one coming now. Yeah. And, but there was pre-October 7th, was a major fracture in Israel that had nothing to do with the government, meaning the, it was there. Amongst the people, amongst communities, there was that. And then separately, you had leadership, which also wasn't very strong. But they kind of go hand in hand, you know. Which one is, which one is first in the equation? Right. That's what I'm saying. It's not a perfectly neat comparison. I understand right. what you're saying. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good metaphor. But it's not a perfectly neat comparison right. between a parent and child because, in a country, you kind of have both sides to to attribute blame to, attribute right. fault. Is hey, there's disunity amongst the country, and then leadership is fractured and and weak. But I feel like those two are really connected. I they think, are very connected, like, yeah. I don't know. I think you're right. We're all adults, like citizens. We're equal citizens and whatever. Um, Israel is a democracy-ish. Um, 
Meaning it's like the only democracy in the Middle East, right? Yeah, it's officially a democracy, but once you have military making those level of decisions, you're not a democracy anymore. Correct. But America's not really a democracy either, so yeah. Right. But I think it's Meaning a little- a pure democracy. Right. Where is a pure democracy. Right, but I think it's like- Because always everyone takes decisions off the table that are unvotable on. Right. And then we're going to vote right. on the rest. Right. right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I still, I feel pretty strongly that the, the divide in the, in the people is very related to the divide politically. Of course. Like, no, hundred percent. No, no. One goes, yeah. one goes hand in hand. I just, yeah. when you take the metaphor of a parent and child, it's yeah. all sitting on the parent. I actually right. would put this more on the, on, on the country. The yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hear that. In America also, it's actually, it's very closely related in America. Also, right. there's a, um, now it's not quite felt by me right now as much, but during COVID, it was like absolutely disastrous right. and leading true. up to Trump and things like that. There was, um, a really, really toxic That's true. divide between different groups that felt insurmountable and yeah. it likely will come back. Um, if there's someone like Trump, not when I say like Trump, it's the same party as Trump Yeah, back in, in the white house. Like, it, it felt like a strategy that was being played out in America with huh. Trump as its leader, was then played out in Israel with Netanyahu as the leader, and all the same strategies that were taken to discredit Trump were then used yeah. on uh, Netanyahu, not to take a clean position on right. any one of them. My, right. gen you know, my general position, I saw in a book by Alan Greenspan, he said this, he said, the fact that someone is willing to do what it takes to become the president of the United States should automatically disqualify them for the position. I like that. Yeah, there's a certain, like a politician is a politician, right. is a politician, right? For, for, for reasons, but there has to be a um, a leader, and there are certainly some, um, some better than others. But without going into the whole political debate, there was a divide in right. America that's was then playing out in, in right. Israel. But there are things like this, you know, nine eleven in New York was there brought it brought New York City together certainly, and in some ways the the whole country. Yeah. October seventh right. for like two weeks we had the whole world. It seemed like oh wow they're saying nice things about yeah. Jews. Yeah, but that's still starting to shift. Yeah, and um, okay, so that's what you're paying attention to, and I understand it from a strategical, from a, a strategy perspective as well. Militarily, Israel is not as strong, and its enemies are emboldened by the fact that there's oh. fracture within that. So you're saying it's practical and perhaps metaphysical as well. Yeah. So that's your main message. Um, I think so. Um, yeah. And also just to kind of, um, in like, remember for ourselves how close we are. Like I hadn't been paying attention to American, like what life is like in America recently at all. Cause I'm like, I'm in a war zone. I like, you know, that's what's my life is. I can't pay attention to other people's stuff and problems. Um, and I kind of like her, like anti-Semitism. I have a sister who, um, she works in Chicago, in downtown Chicago. And one day is like she goes into work a few days a week and a few days she works from home. Um, and I was like, hey, it's your day. Like you're supposed to go into the office. And she's like, oh, no, I can't because there's a pro-Palestinian rally and I'm scared. So I can't. And I was like, huh. I had no concept of like that stuff that was going on in America. This like anti-Semitism and um that's new, I think, for America. It's pretty new. Yeah, it always happens around um, wars in Israel. 
right. that it becomes emboldened and with each one a little bit stronger. I saw an interview, not an interview, um, it's in Congress. It was a, they, they had brought some of the presidents of the major universities yeah. in the U.S., which have done almost nothing to combat the outright anti-Semitism right. uh, going on on campuses. And if you watch their answers, it was, yeah. they, they could not give a simple, like, is it against the code of conduct of Harvard or is it against the code yeah. of conduct at MIT to call for things like globalizing the intifada? Something like that. And uh, the answers were, I mean, all of these presidents suddenly became politicians on a subject of hate and racism, which they claimed to campaign on for many years as we needed more equity and more inclusion and more right. understanding and no racism. And suddenly, yeah, so there is a problem. <laughs> There's a problem in America um, as well. Yeah, so I think the problem, I think it's the same. I think we're in a war together. We're in the same war. Um, that like, and if we remember that we're fighting the same war, um, I think it will unify us more and it will get us through it. Um, I don't know any polit like any military way we're getting out of this terrible situation going on in Israel right now. Um, I'll be really honest with you. Like we, we don't know when we're going back home. We keep, we have to pay rent still to a house that we can't go to. Um, and even after the, let's say when the government says you guys could go home, I don't know if I'm going to be comfortable bringing my kids to live that kind of lifestyle. So does that mean Israel? Does that mean? No, we're definitely going to stay, stay in, in Israel. Israel. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, like when we, when the war first started, all my family was like, come, come, come. We're booking tickets for you guys. I was like, nope, we chose to live here. Um, we really believe, like the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, it's the safest place in the world. And we're here. We're here to stay. We're not running away from this. Um, and then, and it wasn't even a financial, like we can't, we weren't able to afford to fly here with all of our kids. Like in a couple like months ago, we were like, we're not coming back as a family to America. Like it's too expensive. It's a terrible idea to get on a flight with five children for like a week. We can't miss school. You know, we're like, we're not doing family trips anymore. Me and my husband came separately with like our older kids, one at a time. We're like, here's your family trip. And now we're taking a break for a bunch of time. Like we're done. Um, we're not going back to visit family for a while. Um, so we definitely wasn't like something that we could afford comfortably on any level. Um, but it, it wasn't the finances that like stopped us from coming because we had family and friends that were like, tell us where to send the cash app to, you know, like, we'll we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Um, but I was like, I'm not comfortable running away from this. This is, this is where we're supposed to be. And I truly believe that. Um, as time passed and I was having a hard time, like just <sighs> keeping up for my family, um, like my kids and my husband, uh, my brother was actually like, how does Hanukkah vacation sound to you? I was like, huh, I could do Hanukkah vacation with my family. Um, and that's when we came here. So we made like a month long, um, um blah, Hanukkah vacation for our family. Um, so we're not running away. We're going back. Um, we have a, when we told our community we were leaving, they're like, but you have a return ticket, right? I was like, for sure. We're coming back. Um, a hundred percent. We're coming back. I truly believe that that's where we belong. Um, not to sound super Zionist, but I, I believe it's where Jews are supposed to be. Um, anyone who has a mission to fulfill 
outside of Israel, awesome, do it. But if not, it's the place where Jews are supposed to be. Um, I actually had a meeting uh, last week with a community in New Jersey. Um, we're trying to make a sister communities, like with a community in America, with our community in Shuva, to kind of like feel connected and help us be supported and um, all this kind of stuff. And the rabbi said something really interesting. He's like, you know, we so much money is coming from American Jewry into Israel right now for all types of things. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I almost feel like, wow, this is why we were, Hashem kept us here in America so that we could work hard, make lots of money and support all of our brothers and sisters in Israel because we wouldn't have made it through, like meaning the people in Israel wouldn't have made it now without all the support we're getting from our American brothers yeah. and sisters. Um, and I was like, wow, that's an interesting perspective, you know? Um, Powerful to hear. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, Gaza. You had said that earlier that, um, you know, the numbers you don't think are being um, added to, you know, it's yeah. directionally correct. So that means what to you? I have a really good friend, my best friend. She works for a Bedouin organization. Um, she's religious like me. She's pretty right-wing um, mm -hmm. in general. She works for an organization that helps. It's like Jewish people. It's Bedouin-run, um, but there's Jewish people on, obviously, in the organization as well. And they help Bedouin students get into higher education, like universities and stuff like that. Um, so she's my super, like, she's all about peace and, you know. So I asked her in the beginning, I was like, Manucha, like, stuff's like it's bad over there what's going on like what what's going on like within your within your mm -hmm. work um conversations and also like what do you think and she said something that because i i i feel bad for people like meaning um i look at the news and i'm like no this is not good somebody fix it um and she said right now is not the time that we have to have pity on other people. Now it's time to take care of our family and fix the future for sure. But right now it's not, it's not where our um, emotion is supposed to be. Like it's not for her. This was her, obviously her thing. Um, and I really connected to that, that like, I feel terrible that so many people, there are extra people dying that shouldn't have to die. Um, but I think that it's a, it's a complicated situation that maybe 15 years ago could have been fixed like this i think this is all um results of choices that were made many years ago but right now like i i was having a conversation with also a friend on facebook that's super left and super pro-palestinian um and i stopped the conversation at some point because i was like i can't um i said what do you think would have been a proportional and fair response like okay forget everything like forget history let's say october 7th happened that morning that day happened what should have israel's response been that you think would have been fair and he said uh prisoner exchange like for the hostages and then for israel to pull out of to stop the occupation or something like that okay and i was like okay i hear you um but we've done things like that. We've pulled. I mean, Gaza was that pulling right. out the pulling right. out of the occupation, and it was a disaster. So it didn't work. So yeah. why are you saying to do it again? 
Um, and I think we caused that. Choices that our politicians have made caused that so many people live in Gaza right now in the way and they and we kind of allowed Hamas to become as popular as they did. There's, you know, like we've been living in the people that live on the Gaza envelope. They have been living for years, getting rockets on a regular basis. Now, in general, people who um, threat like the rockets are threats, right? And the government kind of is just like, okay, but we have the Iron Dome, so everyone is safe. Instead of listening to the threats, they're talking to you, right? Hamas is saying, look what I could do, look what I could do, look what I could do. Right. And then we're just ignoring them. Yeah, to me, uh, that that's where I think a lot of this, like a lot of the responsibility lies, is that we were willing to sacrifice some people and we're willing to be okay with uh, some level of disaster saying it's manageable yeah. and then all of a sudden exploded way beyond what um, what anyone was willing to tolerate. But what was going on wasn't much different than October 7th. October 7th was just a, a massive concentration yeah. of things that were already happening. Yeah, Israel definitely, um, the Israeli government definitely ignored yeah. the people in the South for, for many, many years. For many and then years. very quickly, their capabilities get stronger. And now it's not just people, you know, in the South, it's people in central right. Israel. Right. And then Israel's a small country with borders on all sides and uh, people who are um, hell-bent on their, on its destruction. You right. Know? So, yeah, I think in terms of, um, you know, I've definitely heard certain language like carpet bomb Gaza and get every single one, they're on Malik and everything else. I, I have a hard time with those um, yeah. messages because I think when you start pulling those things apart, like revenge, um, like massive you know anger at everyone then if you keep pulling at that logic the only reason you're going to end up with for why israel should um do what it's doing and um others can't is that jews are superior in some way right like that <laughs> yeah. the threat is going to end up there which is obviously completely unacceptable i think that in terms of the people dying, we just have to say it clearly. It's like Hamas's responsibility. This yeah. is their strategy. Their strategy is that is how they intend to be kept alive. Yeah, they intend to be kept alive by civilians, and every single one which dies is a tragedy, and every single one which dies is a tragedy at the um, at the hands of Hamas. This is yeah. their strategy. Their strategy is to be kept alive by having dead civilians. Yeah. Yes. You you mentioned all the things that are constructed in Israel, the mamad, the things right. on the street, which I didn't even know about till recently. Where are those in Gaza if they want to protect the people? Billions and billions of dollars have been poured into there. They don't right. exist. Right. They don't exist because they want they want dead civilians. It's Correct. part of the strategy. And if it's allowed to work, then it becomes a strategy that will continue to work. They need to operate. Right. That's what I think is like when, when I end up in discussions with those people, as people who are saying this, I say, you realize you're playing right into the hands of a Hamas strategy that is, right. I mean, it's so easy to execute. Just kill whoever you want, stand behind a baby. And you're and safe. Then, and, right. Not and just then, safe. You're anyone the who says any, Right. Anyone who says anything, you're killing babies. No. Right. No, the IDF isn't killing babies. Hamas right. is killing babies. It's literally right. part of their strategy. Yeah. Literally part of the strategy. How are there babies in northern Gaza Right. when... For the last, I don't know how many, for weeks before Israel did anything, 
They said, get out of the North, get out of the North, get out of the North, get out of the North. If there's any babies in the North, then some adult in Gaza chose to have them there. So, And then all those many useful idiots who are just talking about it as... Um, you know, Israel killing Gazans, they're the ones killing Gazans. Literally, right. you're playing right into Hamas strategy. This works. It works. I, I, like I said, I couldn't understand what Hamas was thinking at first. How, right. are they, how are they going to survive this? Every single one of them is going to be decimated. What do they expect Israel's right. response to be? And then I realized they can play this, as long as they can play this out for a few months, right. it's going to be very, very difficult for Israel to do what it needs to Correct. do. Correct. Because of their dead baby strategy. Right. Because it works. Because it works, and it does work. Yeah, yeah. and it, it results in much more dead babies. The other thing is, um, how is there not massive pressure on Egypt and the Muslim Muslim world to figure out this issue? As, right. as Jewish people, we we take tremendous responsibility for, for other Jews. Right. So you have a couple million Jews, which somehow figure out how to, I don't know, let's say, how many Jews are there in Israel? I have no idea. It's a nine million number, but I don't know if that's all of... Israeli citizens are just Jews. Yeah. So somewhere between seven and nine million. Yeah. Six and nine million Jews within Israel. And somehow they figured out what to do with hundreds of thousands of refugees that you're getting Correct. refrigerators and everything yeah. else. But in Gaza, Egypt, no one's talking about the pressure that should be put on Egypt. Right. For, they have a border there. Why aren't they right. figuring it out? Why Even aren't like there human aid? Right? Like forget like military options. All sorts of things, yeah. yeah. All sorts of things. Figure it out. You got right. a billion Muslims around the world. Figure it out. Figure out how to how to get help for these people. But it seems to me, and maybe it's a um, maybe someone give me a better explanation, that the Muslim world seems to want the Palestinian suffering so that they can continue to attack the Jews. So I think we have to put the blame where it is. It is a tragedy. But I do um, have a lot to say about certain messages that I hear on the Jewish side of the aisle, which is carpet bomb and kill everyone, and they're a malik. I you know. Which the suggestion of a malik, I'm sure you understand, is that every single child, baby, animal needs right. to be needs to be killed. Um, that's that's not a uh, no. I actually um, that's not a that's not a decision that some person on Facebook or Instagram. Right. But can, also, then, like, make. what divides, what separates us from Hamas? What separates the Israeli army from Hamas? If we're revengeful yeah. people and we're angry people, we're not. We're not at all. Um, I was listening to a podcast with Rabbi Shay Taub, which is another one I really mm-hmm. liked that you interviewed. Um, and he was saying anger is avodazara, right? So mm-hmm. he was unpacking that. And the person interviewing was like, but like, I want to, I am angry at Hamas. And so he was kind of like going through like what the emotion of anger is, right? And anger is considered avodazara because that means that you don't believe that Hashem has this master plan. So you're believing in something else. That's not Hashem having this master plan. Um, so he was kind of going through it, and he's like, I'm not saying anger is never acceptable. You can be angry at God, right? That's acceptable. You're, you're upset right now at what's going on in the war? You're angry? Be angry at God. Yell at him. Don't talk to him. You'll work through it. You'll get through it. Um, and that's acceptable. But being angry at anyone, at anything or anyone else besides for God, it's not purposeful. It's not going to get you someplace because, and what, where I went in my head, I was like, then that's this like 
unresolved anger. It will get us to places that Hamas is, right? You, If you see all this kind of stuff on social media, like, oh, these poor Gazans and the Palestinian people, it's really like they're, it's sad. They have a sad life, right? Um, and it's because the Israelis. And I'm like, no. But then I realized like there are people who have lived, they're young children that have been angry since they were born. And now they're 19, 15, 16, 17, 18, and they're still angry. And you have tons of people like that yes. that are just angry. And this is what it gets to, massacres. Like anger is not purposeful um, in that sense. Right. And it, it never ends. Meaning once you're willing to take, once you go with the logic of taking revenge, that revenge is, is okay, then all the people in the world die. Right. You just keep, right. keep going with that. Everyone has a story. Everyone has something they're frustrated about. Everyone's been, you know, right. my mom is from Morocco. They weren't forcefully evacuated, but when 250,000 Jews in 1940s and 50s turns to 2,000 Jews in 2023, yeah, something happened. A lot of Jews got very scared at the same something time. Happened. Because they had seen what happened in Egypt and Yemen and Libya and uh, Tunisia yeah. and yeah. Iran and Iraq and all the right. other Jewish populations. So many of them left. Are, right. they, are they calling themselves refugees a bunch of years later? No, it doesn't mean they don't have a right to be frustrated. They also have a right to be frustrated. But when the frustration turns into acts of aggression, especially acts of aggression of people who are not violently threatening right. you, but just to, to right some historical wrong, it never ends and everyone's dead at the end of this equation. Correct. So, yeah, when they say Hamas is an ideology, I think it's an important point to point out. Hamas is an ideology that a Jewish person can adopt. Yeah. We can start thinking that we can start thinking the uh, the same way. So, and we have to not. We have to not, right? Like actively not, because I think it's easy to go down that, um, not knowingly, right? Like this, like you said, carpet bomb, um, Gaza ideology. That's what it is. It's anger. It's revenge. Yeah, as as if it would make anyone safer. Right. It wouldn't. I no, mean, there is there is a consequence of every single one of these. Um, bombs every single one of these people killed whether they're hamas or not there is a consequence that has to be dealt with that isn't positive that isn't positive also yeah. it's um it's a blight it's a it's a blemish on humanity yeah. that we have to get to a war you know, we all come from the same place right all come from the same two people and somehow we got to a place that we need to kill each other yeah and it may be right, I think, that so they have to do what they have to do, and Israel and Hamas has to be defeated. But we made a lot of mistakes along the way right. to allow it to get to uh, this place, and we we can't make more of them. Right. So the consequences are. Uh, I think as years goes on, years. go on. Yeah, the consequences get bigger. Yes. Yes, certainly. Okay, so let's um. Let's uh, sum it up. I'm glad that your um, experience hasn't led to that sort of. Um, Anger and frustration, frustration, yes, but anger and desire for revenge and uh, any of those, because I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's helpful no. at all. And on the other side, of course, are people who take that, I think, way too far, where it turns into, you know, a kindness to cruel people, which ends up, as the, uh, right. the, the Mishnah says, cruel to kind, becoming cruel to kind people. So, yeah, but I think also that's something that's happening now is that. The kibbutzim that were infiltrated were mostly super peace loving. Like they they wanted to help all the people in Gaza. They really did. They were super large peace activists, and they um, they believed in in conversation fixing it. We just need to talk to them and make it 
and we'll fix it. Um, and now many of them are already, they see the other side and they're like, maybe, maybe we have to be stronger, you know? Um, maybe Israel needs to ha have a stronger stance than just having open dialogue. Open dialogue is not necessarily what's going to help today. Right. I mean, we, we possibly have missed a certain yeah. point in that uh, equation. I think, I don't know, when I think peace activist, I imagine an angry person on the other end. Um, so I'm not saying really everyone. Nice people. We like them. I don't know if they're angry. I think they're, oh, you're saying at the other. No, meaning when I hear, oh, this person's a peace activist, yeah. I imagine a lot of that is anger directed at someone else, but maybe it's just. I hear you. <laughs> it's just me. Come visit. I'll, I'll introduce you to some of them. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, and I understand that there is something very idyllic. Yeah. Um, you know, embedded in a lot of these ideas is something like a beautiful kernel. Yeah. Like even in Hamas, there's this idea that, you know, what we do here doesn't matter. It's really about the next world, right? Mm -hmm. There is something messianic about, um, about, about that yeah. in some way. There's also, uh, you know, a lot of these peaceful ideas, they sound great. Can't we all live in harmony and peace? And the right. answer is no, we can't. Um, we possibly could have. There were some massive right. mistakes along the way, and we possibly could, right? Right. You know, Egypt is peaceful and... Uh, Right. Uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago, that wasn't imaginable. And uh, yeah. Germany is peaceful. And 100 years ago, that wasn't imaginable. Or 80 years ago, right? So, there you go. Yeah, so there's, there's, possible, there's certainly possible for things to be turned around, but there's definitely some ideas that have come infected deep into the Palestinian population and within uh, some of the Jewish population as well, yeah. which has to be uh, sorted through, yeah. sorted through for sure. Um, is there anything unfinished about our our conversation about your message was this um no well, i think that's it i really think the unity i know i know it's uh you you still feel strongly that it's like more mythological no no you, you answered it you answered um, that there's yeah. yeah there's there's something strategic strategic yeah to it right um i think that's it i think that's it and i think that um remembering that israel belongs to all of us like jews should feel connected to the land of eretz israel to the land of israel um, I know I grew up like getting it from my home. I don't know if everyone does. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's, it's really important, um, to stay connected somehow. And I don't, I don't have answers. I know, um, before I left, um, I asked a friend of mine, I was like, so many people want to help. What can I tell them? How can I tell them that they can help? You know? And she's like, right now we are all like postpartum moms. We need someone to come hold our baby, um, do our laundry, cook us food. We don't know how to tell you how to help us. Um, it's time for the world to kind of just get up and, and help us. And it's going to come out slowly in different ways for different people. Um, but we don't have, we don't have answers of how you can help us right now. Right. You know? Certain times that can, there's a lot of pressure in that question. How can I help you? Yeah. Just figure it out. That's You're part right. of the help is by making Fix the decision. I do want to say um, one thing because I am finding a lot of, in America, a lot of Jews who are feeling very sorry for themselves over anti-Semitism. Yeah. And I think it's completely the wrong, um, the wrong approach because we're not safer if we're not Jewish. Like that's not, the, the right. Jews are not safe. The fact of the matter is, I think that the Jewish people are kind of the equivalent of a sensitive child in a toxic home. Mm. So a home which is toxic is going to show up first with the most sensitive child. That's where we're going to see it. I like this. And that child is going to be exhibiting all sorts of symptoms. We can blame it on them. We can right. say, oh, poor kid. 
ultimately, everyone's going to pay the price of the toxicity in the house. A hundred percent. Oh my ma- gosh, I love this. And in many ways, the sensitive child pays the price first, and that's a gift of gifts. Right. That's a gift of gifts. And the same for the Jewish people. These ideas are not sustainable for anyone. It wasn't six million people which died in the Holocaust. World War II had many more people died beyond that because once we adopt certain ideologies that Jews sometimes become the lightning rod for that, the first that we can exercise that on for whatever reason. Once once that happens, then it extends from there. You know, did suicide bombing stop in Israel? No, it went all over Europe. It got to America. However, once certain ideas are out there, it becomes dangerous for for everyone. So I think for us Jews, we should feel very proud of anti-Semitism. We should be very proud of being the most sensitive child. Hmm. We see the toxicity first, and we can react to it first, and we don't have to be blindsided by it by it a hundred years later. And I think it's exactly that that has led to our continuous ability to to stay alive over many generations. Versus versus the opposite. Yeah, things are explained on spiritual ways, but things can also be explained. I like this one in practical ways. Yeah. So we have lots of tools in our toolbox as a highly sensitive child. Yeah, and the Jews are highly sensitive people. There you go. And when it's a toxic idea, we often find out first. I love it. So thank you, thank you for joining us. Cool. In the, thank uh, you for having me. And search for more podcasts. Um, I hope your message not only gets out there but resonates with people because unity is a a beautiful thing, and it was something that. Um, you know, I said, uh, after the war, I said, Hamas did what Chabad was unable to do. You know, they brought <laughs> Jews together in a, a beautiful way. Yeah. So, awesome. Thank you, Hamas. Thank you. <laughs> and hopefully we can uh, retain the message yeah. without the reminders. I, I hope so. I really believe we can. Amen. Okay. Cool. You keep sharing your message. We will. Thank you. <laughs>